Welcome to In The Know. We have a very, very special guest. Uh, we have Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, also from The Mismatch Pod, The Void, and all kinds of NBA coverage. Uh, we're very happy to welcome him. Uh, what's up, Kevin, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great today, guys. How about yourself? Uh, the week after the draft. I was still riding that high. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Mason can tell you about that, too. I mean, I wasn't there, so uh, it was. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we're both happy with how it turned out. But uh, Schmidt was there in person, and so I imagine he's still really riding that high. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a pretty incredible night. I'd say. I, I'd say it was a success given given everything that happened. Um, just in terms of who the Pelicans were targeting, who ended up falling to them in in the second round. But um, yeah, man, where, where were where were you during the draft? I guess were you still in uh, L.A., California, and, and what's that night? typically like for you because i know you spend months and months and months like preparing for it um you know writing articles uh watching and then obviously uh reporting on stuff so like what's that night like for you and like what's the culmination <laughs> of all those months of works <laughs> like, uh, look like? i mean i was sitting right here in the same chair that i am right now in front of my my fake brick wall and green screen and <laughs> and uh yeah all the all the uh all the months of preparation definitely you know are valuable that night it's a tough night man like i'm doing i'm recording the bill simmons podcast with ryan and all that while doing draft grades for the draft guide it's like a bit it's a bit much sometimes doing both at the same time but um yeah it's, it's a lot of fun doing that and um yeah doing the podcast with bill and ryan reacting live is a good time because you never know what you're gonna get you never know if it's gonna be crazy trades big surprises and you know getting to react to Apollo going first even though there was like you know the rumblings about Orlando having interest, the fact that it actually happened, it was just a lot of fun. So I, I very much enjoy it. That's that's pretty incredible. Was 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 Paulo going first? Like the kind of like the biggest surprise for you, like off the get go, or or were you? Was it something else? Like maybe what what Sacramento did? Uh, um, I mean, I think I think the Paulo stuff what was definitely the biggest overall surprise. Um, I mean, like I had reported earlier in the month that like they're not a hundred percent on Jabari Smith, that you know, there's still a chance they either trade down or do something else. Uh, at least that's the way people around the league were talking because it was too much Jabari Smith talk. Like that's those are the conversations like people around the league were having. It's like this is a lot of Jabari Smith Jr. for Orlando. It just seems like a bit much. It was all Jabari Smith right from the lottery. It just all seemed a bit a little bit suspicious, and some and it turned out that it, that was exactly the case. When they went with Paolo. So it was a surprise, but also a little bit like, oh, I guess the, the NBA executive conspiracy theorists are right. <laughs> Do you have a, a, I think a lot of was made draft morning of what was going on in Vegas. So, and oh, the yeah. line going off when, when Woj tweets out that they're still targeting Jabari. And Do you have like a perspective on all that, that, you know, the, the 24 hours for the draft as far as the betting markets are concerned and like what, what all was going on? So, I, I mean, my guess is, is that the these you know the these markets have strong sourcing would be my guess <laughs> and and like I think even today the line moved on DeAndre Ayton's next team it was like plus twenty two hundred for you know the Nets to land Ayton and now it's like plus eight hundred and like that type of movement it's like oh. I've heard, you know, this is not like this is. It might get picked up, but it's just like the Suns would be like be a destination for eight, for for KD. If if Kyrie leaves and if Kevin Durant were to demand a trade, the Suns are are potentially a destination for Kevin Durant. So the betting markets must be hearing about the possibility of an eight and sign and trade to Brooklyn, and thus they're moving a line before that's 
even a reported thing before it's a real possibility. It's like they're, they, they're hearing things behind the scenes. So I would imagine overnight they got some type of sourcing, strong sourcing that, that said, actually it won't be Jabari Smith Jr. It's going to be Paulo Bancaro. But why the line moved so far in favor of Bancaro being the number one pick and then all the way back to pretty much where it was before – that I don't understand. I, I like it's so strange to me, and I, I'd love to see somebody you know report out a full story on what exactly happened there. I'd love I'd love to like know what like an investigative report would come up with. Like why did they move the line? I, I'd be very curious about that. But I haven't heard anything specific other than it has to be sourcing uh, that's happening behind the scenes from them. Just like reporters try to get uh, information, I would imagine they're doing the same exact thing, and they're getting it. Yeah, I mean that that was absolutely wild. I think like the the craziest out of the blue betting line movement I've seen, like it's the biggest one I remember was the Kawhi stuff going to Toronto. And like oh, Toronto, yeah. I think, just <laughs> jumped up as a favorite. Everyone's like, wait, what? What's yeah. going on here? Um yeah. but yeah, that, that, that was a wild one too. Yeah. Um interesting stuff that that happened there. Uh obviously the Pelicans picked um Dyson Daniels at eight. Uh, you've written uh, a little bit about Dyson Daniels, especially in your draft guide. I'm curious uh, how you feel overall about that selection and, and his fit moving on uh, with New Orleans. I absolutely love it. I mean, I I get just genuinely excited about the possibility of Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones just wreaking havoc on defense together. It's um, like Daniels, if, if you just watch, I'd love to see a soup like a three minute supercut of all his blocks. You know, his steals, the ability to close out on the three-point line. Like, we've seen Herb Jones obviously do that. I just think defense is something that oftentimes isn't what, what's going viral on social media. But I just think about the excitement those guys are going to be able to generate on that end of the floor. The early offense transition opportunities that are going to be created from it. And that's really where Dyson Daniel shows off his best skill. It's his passing ability. That dude is a, a majestic playmaker. His ability to create for others. So, I get, I just get... I'm fired up for the Pelicans to be able to put out lineups that don't have any weak links on defense or lineups that have, you know, five guys who can handle the ball and make plays for others. The amount of lineup uh, flexibility that green is going to have, is kind of outrageous. Like how many teams can you, can you really say those two things about that? I just said about having five guys who can all handle five guys who can all, you know, be switchable on defense. That just seems to be the the place that they're angling at. Never mind if EJ Liddell, their second round pick ends up working out too. Yeah, and well, so I guess that was going to be my next question. Is like it, it seems like they have a type when it comes to to drafting, and it's it's versatile players. And as you mentioned, um, defensive players who can handle the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you feel like when when you're looking at a Zion Williamson team, <clears throat> is that is that the future? Because a lot of people are like, well, just surround them with shooters and and figure it out, right? But I think as we've seen with some of the teams that like as you get to later rounds of the playoffs, guys who can shoot but not do much else get pretty limited. Um, and, and it definitely seems like the Boston Celtics are a team who also want to be able to put out multiple ball handlers, multiple uh, players of size and be able to switch that kind of stuff. So curious where you fall um, in that with regards to how they're building the team around Zion. I mean, I, I think they're building a team that can thrive with or without him in the sense that Zion healthy, you know, playing like he did when we last saw him. That makes the Pelicans a team that you can see a path to the finals in the coming, you know, three to five years or sooner, you know, maybe the next year or two. Um, 
but they're also building out a team with the guys that they've drafted. That I feel like there's a collective upside where you can see a path towards being very, very good or, or great and maybe even contending someday. It's like if if Dyson Daniels indeed continues shooting as well as it appears that he did in pre-draft workouts, you're talking about a guy who has size, playmaking ability, selfless, you know, great defensive ability, and he could potentially be a reliable shooter with a team that already has CJ and Brandon Ingram emerging and Herb Jones and like so on and so forth. It just, I think the way they're building is from a a standpoint of flexibility in terms of, like I just mentioned, like different lineups this team can throw out there, but also there's different paths towards contention with the amount of quality players that they have, the amount of potentially great players they have, Zion included. And never mind like the mountain of draft picks that they're sitting on. The Pelicans have so many different paths to go that you just can't say about really any other other team in the entire NBA except for maybe Oklahoma City but the Pelicans are like they're not a young you know prove themselves team the Pelicans have already you know made the playoffs and you know had a great first round series so like they're on different different levels at this point but um like other than that like the New Orleans Pelicans are set up for uh you know so many different paths to go down I, I think we'll certainly get your perspective on kind of what comes next with free agency um, and potential trades and whatnot. But I think one of the things that's been talked about a lot, uh, you know, with, as far as with Pelicans fans is how deep this team is. You're already referencing how deep they are. And so I'm curious what your perspective is on Dyson Daniels immediate fit. And really, do you, do you see a clear pathway for him? Should he be getting minutes day one, assuming no other roster changes happen, which they certainly could, I think maybe even probable, but you know, do you think he's good enough right now to really help the Pelicans you know, opening night? I do. I, I do think he is. I mean, defensively, he's so far ahead for players in his age range. So, I mean, like what, get, what earns you respected the coach minutes on the floor opportunities, it's defense. And then you factor in the fact that he's a reliable you know, decision maker. He's not going to be doing anything silly out there. Uh, Like he'll take calculated risks and make some of those flashy passes, but it all comes from a standpoint of what's the best play for my team. And I think his ability to reliably run an offense in addition to his defensive ability positions him as one of the rookies who can earn early minutes. Obviously, you know, how many minutes are available? Is Devontae Graham still on the team? Uh, Like that, though, there's questions there. Um, But ultimately, like Dyson Daniels should, should fly up the depth the depth chart in the short term and become a contributor in some, you know, remember when the, the Blazers added Evan Turner years ago and it turned out to be like a goofy mistake. But the idea of that was having a big ball handler next to Dame and CJ having Dyson Daniels, you know, hopefully like that's the best version ever of, you know, Evan Turner, right? Like the Evan Turner who was good. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the idea of uh, the way I think about it next to CJ. He just provides so much size and versatility in that backcourt. So, I'd be surprised if he's not contributing early, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think that's a very interesting comp because Evan Turner was what drafted two overall. Yeah, number um, two. Yeah, the best version yeah. of ET, whatever that would have been. The best you know? version, the best yeah. version of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that'd be interesting. I, uh, obviously, everyone's uh, hoping that Shot Doctor Fred Vincent can um, can <laughs> yeah. make something happen here. <laughs> and he's and, a and wizard. I mean, he. Like, I don't know how he does it. It's crazy. He's the best in the league. He really well, is. The Pelicans feel pretty good about it. Obviously, you know, good enough to draft Dyson at, at eight, but they they seem to think that because of his age, um, being as young as it is, they have a lot more time to uh, correct the mechanics. Um, well, they don't. I don't think there's like m- many like mechanical flaws with with Dyson's shot, but just to like get him on the right track 
Um, and, you know, as opposed to a guy that might be 22, 23. And, and they've had success with those guys too, right? Lonzo came in his third year. Brandon came in um, entering his fourth year and, and, and so on and so forth. Herb Jones, uh, an older rookie drafted. But, yeah, it definitely seems like they are optimistic with, with how young Dyson is that some of the previous um, habits can be um, shifted. So, um, you know, I think we, we're, we'll be able to talk about the roster construction here in a second. I do want to uh, continue on to for, with the draft, and then we can talk about the free agency and, and roster um, stuff. So EJ Liddell dropping all the way to 41. Um, just want to get your immediate thoughts on what you were – thinking like as you saw like like there's a couple people in my opinion that fell um that were potentially projected in the first round like i think Jaden hardy uh being one of them but like ej obviously seemed to be mocked uh pretty universally in the 20s somewhere um just your thoughts on on him as a player and like you know what what you were thinking when he was falling into the second round yeah i mean it was a little surprising that he fell as far as he did um you know i've texted a handful of executives about that like why did this happen uh and like there's never any one solid reason why it doesn't seem like it was anything medical i mean for what it's worth um just seemed like a guy who was an upperclassman that teams happen to let slip through the cracks as often happens we've seen this happen before so i think with with liddell he goes back to school like team he enters the draft last year and is asked to improve as a shooter and a perimeter defender and that's exactly what he did it's 100% what he did at Ohio State as a junior. So, um, I mean, I feel good about him being a potential longtime NBA veteran. I think at his age and with his size and length and and um, the like, he's got a strong frame as well. You're going to see someone who could, can become a, a potentially highly versatile defensive player. Um, so I think for the Pelicans in the 40s, getting him is really good value and somebody who could you know provide more depth and versatility on the bench. Mason, I'm going to keep on chugging on the draft questions if you want to chime no. in at any point. Um, no, but yeah, let's keep moving. With, with, with regards to, to EJ a little bit here, um, you know, you mentioned he improved the shot. He, he improved his perimeter defense. Um, do you feel like, you know, it, it seems to me um, the two things that are going to keep him on the court are those two things. So h- how comfortable are you with the idea of EJ potentially having to defend in space? Um it seems to me he's going to be part of a lot of small ball lineups. I mean, I guess he doesn't have to be, but it, it seems to me if you really want to like maximize some of those units, you take advantage of him uh, maybe as a small ball five um, or or in, in spaced out lineup. So if you're switching a lot with that kind of player, um, can he eventually hold his own enough uh, to where he'll he'll get c- consistent minutes? You'd hope so. Um, <laughs> like I think the improvement he experienced after you know between his sophomore and junior years at Ohio State is encouraging. Uh, he obviously needs to improve further. There, you know, there's still flaws in his game defending on the perimeter, um, but but ultimately, like he, what was it earlier in the season? I believe it was. It was first month of the year against Bancaro defending on the perimeter. Those are the types of matchups that you're talking about with him as a small five or even playing, you know, some four. It's not like you're going to be asking him on a nightly basis to this, to defend opposing guards uh, or top wings. It's going to be a lot of forwards. And I think with his size and strength, he definitely has the ability to do that uh, in the longer term. But that, but like, again, like drafting Liddell speaks to the overall apparent vision of the Pelicans, it's a bunch of players who can at least hold their own on the perimeter because Liddell might not be some crazy perimeter stopper 
if he's on a switch against the guard. But if he has like great backline defenders ready to help behind him, it's not going to be like it is for the Jazz when anytime Rudy Gobert is on the perimeter and it's Donovan <laughs> Mitchell like inside the paint, right? Like the Pelicans have size and length and versatility where even if Liddell's outside and he gets beat, okay, well, there's, you know, Brandon Ingram coming over to help. There's Herb Jones coming over to help. There's just, I think the Pelicans are building that type of team up where even it's not about the individual, it's about the collective overall. I really like how you put that. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. On on the offensive side of things, he was asked to be, I guess, primarily a post player uh, at, at Ohio State. And and that's, I don't believe that's going to be his role in the NBA. I don't think <laughs> post opportunities are, are very easy to come by uh, unless you're um, Joe Olympiad or, or Nikola Jokic. Um, even then, you know, the, those are the tremendously versatile players. Um, so with EJ, where do you feel like he's going to, um, I guess, make his money on offense? Uh, catch and shoot, <laughs> attacking closeouts, making the right play, you know, off the dribble, you know, if you're driving kick. And he's a good passer. So um, I, I think with him, as long as he as he, he leans more into the passing instead of the scoring, which is what he was asked to do at Ohio State, I mean, there's so many instances where he is missing an open man. But when he's passing the ball, um, I think he's shown an ability to do that. So it's really about playing you know what what is what do great role players do next to star players ingram zion cj the guys are going to be facilitating or doing most of the uh running the offense it's you know catch and shoot threes man and making the most of those situations but maybe you'll see him as a screener a little bit you know i mean we could see that with cj mccollum a little short roll action i mean i love seeing you know players using roles like that so and maybe, maybe we'll see Willie Green get creative, but I, I'd say as a baseline spot up. Um, I, I'm curious what you saw when, when you evaluated him from uh, a jump shooting perspective. I mean, I, you, you mentioned he, he wanted to improve his shot and, and, and he did, but percentages are one thing. I mean, do you, did you see a tangible change in, you know, mechanics or, or how he shot the ball, the shots he was taking um, that, that, give you reason for, for optimism as well. I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it's fun and easy to talk about Vincent, but I, I, you know, I, I don't like to bet. You can't bank on every single player just magically improving their shot in New Orleans. Right. And so th- did you see things you liked out of, out of EJ that really give you more pro- uh, hope for, for the future? Maybe like a slightly quicker release. I, I wouldn't say it was a dramatic difference necessarily, but I mean, here's the thing. I think, I think with any player, if they, if they express the desire to get better and the will to actually make changes to mechanics. Like that's, that's where it all begins. I remember years ago, I spoke with the former Sixers um, shooting coach, John Towns, and I interviewed him for a story. About, was it was it a story about which hand Ben Simmons should shoot with? Well, I mean, I kind of tried to – I slid a question in there late about it. But the question was about, like, shooting. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the article was about shooting and improving yeah. as a shooter and some of the NBA's great shock doctors and all that. Like, I, And – and um, I asked him like about Ben, and I was like, "So with Ben Simmons, I think he needs to switch shooting hands." And he and he said, "Well, this is just a general answer I'm giving you, not specific about Ben, but it was definitely about Ben." And, and he said, "Any player, <laughs> in order to change their shooting, needs to have the desire to change and the and the discipline to make those habits the, their new habits, their new learned habits. You need to put be have the desire to put the time in." And so I think the the successful players, the Fred Vincent, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, I mean, these guys had those qualities. And EJ Liddell showed at Ohio State 
He took feedback from the NBA and got better. He has those qualities. So if you're going to bet on somebody to maximize whatever they're going to be, maybe he's only ever a 37% shooter from three, you know, average. But I think he's the type of guy who with Vincent can maximize whatever he's going to become, whether that's a great shooter or just, you know, a pretty good shooter or an average one. I'm, I'm, I'm nodding along because the Pelicans feel exactly that way. They feel like you have to have a willingness uh, to do it and a willingness to kind of go through adversity. And, and you're right, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, all those guys put in hours and hours of work to, to, to get it done. Um, what's what's interesting to me is it sounds like poor Fred's just going to be stretched so thin <laughs> with all these guys uh, who, who, who need a, to learn how to shoot. But I think another thing here is, going to be his willingness uh to let it fly um you know uh, percentages are important but i'll take a 35 percent guy from three if he's willing to shoot it six seven times a game you know as opposed to a guy who's shooting 40 percent but only shoots it three times um you know it, it seems when the shots open um teams that are willing to just let it go uh really can maximize what they're able to do with their stars and i think defenses have to to respect that um you know, a, a little more. We kind of saw it with, with Grant with Williams there. Uh, was it 18? Was it 18 threes that he took? That, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> 11, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was It was, It was. was a lot. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you're getting open shots, take them. You know, take them. Otherwise, someone else will. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, like, you have to be – it's not just about the, the, the percentage. It's about the amount of attempts, you know, as well. Um, moving on uh, to the next I – mean, I'm just going to, like, couple the next two – um, at the on the 52nd pick, they selected Carlo Matkovic, uh, who is going to be a stash um, player. Uh, they're probably going to play in summer league. Just curious if you had any baseline thoughts on on Carlo here. Not a guy I've studied this year. My draft time was cut down. Yeah, that's totally fair. So we'll push her on to to Darion Sebron, um, NC State. Um, same same question. Curious any any thoughts there. Not a guy I've studied this Love year. That. This year is disappointing to be honest with you, man. Like I, I think with the draft guide and from 2014 through 2016, we had a hundred profiles. Um, then 2017 and 2018, I had a hundred or and through 2019, a hundred behind the scenes. We didn't post all of them this year. I only had 50 on the draft guide. And like, I think, I think next year with the ringer guide, I, I miss doing those 50 to 100 profiles, like the the back end. Those are the fun ones when really? you're doing those guys. So this year, this this coming season, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to how can I cover the NBA full time while doing the draft as much as I did before. It's tough, it, man. It's a, it's a tough so balance, man. It is, dude. Like 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 it's disappointing for me personally that like I I'm giving you the honest answer. So. Yeah. I haven't studied those guys, but it's the type of That's thing fair. where, you know, I, I, I hope to be back to 100 plus next year. Well, the COVID year, we we had months, right? We had oh, those yeah, extra that was a strange year. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've talked about like Kyra Lewis for the last six months. I, I think I'm tired of this, but yeah, no, yeah. Um, totally, totally understand. Um, so we, we can move on towards free agency coming up at the end of this week here. Uh, the Pelicans still have some kind of bookkeeping to do in terms of what they want to do with roster spots. Do they want to bring in EJ for uh, a roster spot? Do they want to two-way him? Um I think the scuttle here right now is, you know, they're probably maybe looking to move Devontae Graham a little bit, or uh, maybe Jackson Hayes is part of something. Um, when it comes to shifting the Pelicans roster around, uh, there's a lot of guys who are um, 
settled in the rotation. You know, like you, you want Trey Murphy to get more minutes. You want Herb Jones to get more minutes. Do you feel like the Pelicans need to be maybe making a consolidating trade here um, to, to perhaps open up that roster spot and, or um, yeah, just free up some minutes for other folks. So like a, a consolidation for Kevin Durant. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Just like I'm not sure that frees up minutes for anyone, but all right, let's go with it. <laughs> I mean, would you uh, give up a bunch of role players and all the future picks to get KD with Zion? I'm just, I'm just throwing the thought out there. <laughs> I mean, if, he, if 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 Brandon Ingram and Zion are still on the team, I'm happily taking KD. Would you, would you give Ingram for KD? <laughs> Oh man, you know KD's <laughs> played what like eighty games in the last three years. Um, if KD was thirty, it'd be not not even a question. Um, I say no at this point. I'm just asking the question. I say it's, it's tough. It's what are we facing? I'm just asking the question. Um, well, the amount of times you said I'm just asking the question makes you wonder other things. But uh, no, I mean, like any any like the thing. The reason why I ask it is because you mentioned consolidation. I was like, what? That's the first thing that popped in my head. What's the best way to consolidate? <laughs> it's giving up the most for one. <laughs> Man, I I I feel like you have to. You may have to strongly consider that just for what it says for the market to be able to land a player like Kevin Durant in New Orleans. I mean, that's big, right? And so it's, it is tough, though. I mean, because Ingram keeps getting better, and I don't really know what the ceiling is for Ingram anymore with the season he had last year. So it's it's really tough to justify that. <laughs> so I'll put a question to both of you, um, and I, I know how big of a Brandon Ingram fan you are, KOC. Um you have to give up one of these players, Brandon or Zion, in order to bring KD. Like KD's like, I'm coming, and, and, and Brooklyn's like, I'll only take one of those players. And it's a done deal. Who, who, who are you moving on from? Uh, well, sorry, well, can you repeat that? Uh, you, ha- you have to give up either KD, uh, Brandon Ingram or Zion to get KD here. And KD's already called you know, David Griffin. He's like, I'm coming. Just yeah. make it happen, whatever it takes. And Brooklyn's like, I need one of those players. I'm giving up Ingram. I mean, I think there's some there's uh, Zion's upside is so insane. It's so insane, and unless they know behind the scenes the injuries are not going to go away, which maybe they do. If they know that, then you give up Zion. But if there's confidence that Zion's going to be able to stay healthy and be the megastar that he appeared to be last time he was on the floor, then yeah, you're giving up Ingram because there's some, you know, with those two guys, there is a little bit of a overlap in terms of what they're being asked to do on the floor which the, the way you just ended that was the only reason I would think about trading Ingram in, instead of Zion. I, 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 it, be honest, not even 25 yet. I mean, I think that I, I think it's, it's easy to think that he might be close to his ceiling, but also the way that he's improved since coming to new Orleans, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to close the book on him oh, yeah. taking another leap. And so in, in that regard, I feel like, like I understand like rolling the dice and playing for like the absolute peak. But I also think that, Either option, if you're getting KD, you're you're immediately in that contender level, and so I'm I might I might trade Zion to keep BI. <laughs> That'd be man. so wild. Can you oh. imagine that? <laughs> oh man, I just wanted That'd to see y'all crazy. squirm on that. Um, <laughs> it's definitely uncomfortable. <laughs> Anyways, uh, just kind of kind of kind of moving on uh, around here. Uh, we can let's let's talk about Zion. Zion um, is due for an extension and. Uh, it seems to be like it, it, Woj and Mark Stein and others are reporting that um, it might be 
a quick deal. You know, it might not be very, um, might not have a lot of drama and it might happen pretty quickly after free agency starts. Uh, are you, are you kind of here in the same KOC? Are you feeling like it should be the same? Like it should be a pretty drama free drill or are you trying to like squeeze in um, all these kind of stipulations and protections? I haven't heard anything specific on like what protections could be and how extreme they could be. Um, but like the expectation is from executives I've talked to that Zion will resign, uh, whether it's drama free or not, I guess the drama already has happened. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it happened during the season. Um, so, I mean, if it's, if that's drama free, sure. Uh, I think the drama just already happened and that's in the past at this point. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's fair. So if you were in charge of the team, uh, you know, Mason and I have talked about the different options you have with Zion. Um, would you would you be okay just giving him a five year max, first of all? Um, and then second of all, I think Mason and I, here's where we stand. We agree that we prefer there not to be a player option in that final year. And we're willing to basically take away most of the injury protections um, if that's on on the table. And so what where how do you feel about that? I like the sound of that. I think you guys are negotiating from a, a wise team uh, standpoint there. It's like, yeah, you want that fifth year locked up um, just so in case like it is a great first four years, he's not saying peace out after four potentially. Um, so I think that long-term security from a team standpoint makes a lot of sense uh, with, in terms of like protections with injuries and all that. I mean, Again, like that depends on the information that they have behind the scenes that none of us are completely privy to. Like we might hear little things about this and that, but they know everything. And so if they if they have reason to believe that he's going to be able to stay healthy, then yeah, like give him the money and reward him and empower him to be the guy and you know continue to push him to become the best player that he can possibly be and like leader of the team as well. So I think rewarding him with a five-year full max without that player option on the last deal is a, on the last year is a, is a good plan. I, I think there are a couple uh, other benefits to that. One is it's, it's so I don't think about it as just the it you in, you only have four four years instead of five. It's because you know if you only have a four-year contract guaranteed, then after two years you might start hearing stuff of Zion wants out, yeah. Zion wants out. You get that extra year there too, just in case. Um, the other piece of this is the new, um, you know, the new TV deal looming. And so you're locking in, even with the max money, even if you pay him every single dollar you can, you're still locking him in under the old cap environment. And I'm pretty sure, you know, once you get halfway through that deal, whatever they do with caps moving and, and the increase, I, I, I don't know, like, unless it truly is, uh, he can never get healthy in his entire career. I just don't see a lot of ways where that goes wrong for the, for the Pelicans. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of money, but he's worth every dollar if he's on the floor. No doubt about it. I mean, like the last the last time we saw Zion, he was doing some of the craziest stuff out there. I mean, like his his ability to just be a dominant force on offense at his age, even when like he still has some clear paths with paths to getting better as a player. I mean, like what if Fred Vincent is able to successfully turn Zion into a 35 percent shooter from three on three attempts per game? That is not a lot. Right. But like, even if Zion were at that level as a shooter, can you imagine him attacking closeouts, driving down the lane? I mean, like, what, like, what are defenses supposed to do about a guy like that? Never mind how we already kind of see that, like, with the old Van Gundy, like the slingshot play, having him come off a handoff down to the, like, it, it's 
the the Zion's potential is limitless. Like you give you give him the money and you hope he stays healthy and you do everything you can to help him stay healthy because the upside of him is you know annual contention for NBA championships. That's that's just like what what's at stake with a healthy Zion is you're competing for championships or you're one of the teams that says oh maybe we get a shot. One one quick follow up on that. I mean, so do you do you think that the Pelicans will win at all in this negotiation? Do you think that that's on the table the five years straight and, and as a trade off for no injury protections? Do you think that Zion's going to push until he gets the four plus one? Um, I have not heard any specifics there, but I'm sure you know the Pelican side of things is actually like doing real negotiating here. I know. Um, like a lot, a lot of the time when NBA Twitter and all that, it's about like just give the play, like with Aiton and the Suns. It's about well, why aren't they just rewarding him? Well, because they don't view him as a max player. That, that's that's <laughs> why. It's like they're negotiating. It's a business. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the Pelican side is trying to push for a five year. Because I'm with you. Like it makes so much sense logically for all the reasons you stated, Mason. Yeah, I mean, I I think I told Keith Smith this. You're not trying to create a contract that gives you cap space later on if, if he's healthy you're playing you're not worried about the mm-hmm. cap i mean at worst you you tie yourself to his foot and you're like okay maybe there's some sort of protection we can take in that format but other than that the key is you know most years for the most amount of time that's 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 where i'd be but there's a couple other um extension candidates here for for the pelicans larry nance and and cj mccollum i believe both extension eligible after uh august 9th um both, I think, were tremendous additions to the Pelicans culture and locker room, and they've both been vocal proponents of the organization and uh, been tangible. They've, you know, you, you see them out and about on, on things. Um, let's talk about CJ first. Uh, in my opinion, CJ sort of like helped catalyze the, the real turnaround um, for this past season. Uh, the Pelicans were already on the right track, but I think CJ like made it legitimate and, and really pushed them into the playoffs. Uh, how do you feel about So CJ, I believe has two years left on his contract. Um, and, and he's well-paid in those two years. I think it's like 30 plus million on, on each of those years. Um, how do you feel about adding more years and money to that, that deal? Not against it at all. In the case of CJ McCollum, um, I think he has a game minus, you know, some of his flaws defensively that, you know, everybody already knows about, um, like his offense is built to last. And I, I thought it was really cool how we kind of, you know, when he was acquired, some of the talk was, well, no, he's a scorer. He's just a bucket getter. And he is that like, that's what he is first and foremost. But I think he showed off a little bit more playmaking and shot creation for others with New Orleans than he was, a, than he was ever asked to do with Portland or, or, you know, ever showed that he could do with the Blazers, except for some real, you know, slim instances where Damian Lillard was out in the past. So, I think for the Pelicans, it makes some sense to extend him now and and get the core locked up. And it shows like an overall, you mentioned like the leadership that he had, you know, in that locker room. It also shows the commitment to this core and how bought in the front office and the ownership and coaches and everybody is into the collective. And I think little things like that don't really hurt future flexibility for the team at all. If anything, like the the short term upside is is significant there. Yeah, I think I think I'm with you there. I think the one thing that would give me a little pause is if they extended him for like I say like you know four years. Uh, I think oh yeah, four years would be a lot. But you know you're adding like two years to that deal. Um, at, at, I think the money like the money is less important to me than the years. I think I, I think you have to be you know mindful of of his age um, rather than like how much you're paying him. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm excited for his fit with Zion. We we've seen how uh, Stan Van Gundy used to run screening actions for for JJ Redick, and how JJ used to screen for mm-hmm. Zion, uh, and they basically empty out uh, one side of the floor and let those two just go at it. And CJ is is um, an elite catch and shoot three point shooter. Obviously, he has some off the dribble game as well. But I, I'm excited to see how that action looks with CJ, just because he can do a lot more with the ball uh, than than JJ could. Um, yeah. That little elbow action with JJ and sometimes Lonzo, that was a lot of fun to watch. Those, yeah. those, those were good times. Like, you know, JJ could really screen, man. <laughs> he said some I great mean, screens for Zion. He made his money. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, man, the the next candidate here is, is Larry Nance. Uh, and it is, his extension seems pretty – pretty moderate it seems like he's going to be eligible for like about like two years like 20 million or so um that's really not anything that's like a you know a drop uh in terms of like the cap it's it's mle money um at most um i think pelicans fans and in, in media and consensus you just kind of give him that and figure out like if you have any cap concerns later you'll, you'll figure it out because that's not a contract that's difficult to move um so I, i'm assuming a like you don't have any like strong feelings about giving him that money no, I love. I, my only strong feelings are they should give him the money because I love Larry Nance Jr. Yeah. So, so my question <laughs> I think he's to a you, great, great high end role player. My question to you is, how do you feel about him basically in a full time backup five role? So like Jonas is, I believe, going to start um, and you know take our many minutes, and depending on the matchup, those minutes will go up and down. But uh, how do you feel about Larry being the first guy off the bench as the five, kind of how they did in the playoffs, and they closed games with him at the five as well. I'm totally cool with it, man. I think with Larry Nance, whether it was his early days with the Lakers um, where he was playing more small five or whether it was some of the years in Cleveland where they have him running around screens chasing Duncan Robinson or you know sliding on the perimeter against DeMar DeRozan, he's shown that he can have success playing either style. So you know, I think that's the value to the Pelicans is it, is it again touches on the flexibility uh, that uh, Willie Green can have is you can use him as a small five in certain minutes, but you can also slide him over and play him at the wing too. So with Larry Nance, I think having guys like that off your bench is you know insanely valuable. So uh, I'm I'm a fan of giving him the money and also supportive of, of using him as a small five. With that said, though, I do think it's important to have more options with size off the bench because think about the Phoenix Suns going against the Bucks and the NBA Finals, their playoff run, the lack of size behind Aiton became problematic for them. And so for the Pelicans, if they were to go on a long journey and be, 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 in, the, be in it still next, late next May or in June even, having a five behind them, um, in addition to having Nance as an option, would be very important, depending on who the matchup is in the NBA Finals uh, or in the journey on the way there. So I think, I think both things are important. Oh, here we go. He wants us to get KD and, and we're going to the finals. Um, you guys heard it here first. <laughs> no, I mean, look, you, you can't you can't rule out anything. That, what, what has the NBA proven to us? You have to expect the unexpected. And so, like the fact the fact that the Nets are even in this position right now, the fact that the Pelicans even have all of these guys, you know, mashed together in the weird Zion situation, like the fact that the fact Kyrie Irving could be going to the Lakers with six million dollars. I mean, you have to expect the unexpected of the NBA. And so with the Pelicans, they're a young team. The odds are they won't be in the finals next year. Nobody's gonna pick them over a Golden State or some of these other vet teams if the Nuggets make a big move, whatever else. But man, like you can't 
you can't rule out what happens if Zion comes back and he's the same guy he was before and healthy or even better than he was before. Like, like that dude, Zion is, is one of those guys who can just, he can change, you know, what the, what the landscape looks like in the entire NBA overnight, just if he's healthy. Um, I know what, what, uh, keep, keep this a uh, little, little short, but, uh, but I want to ask one, one big question about, what you think about the Pelicans in this perspective, just the Western Conference as a whole. But before we do that, any other Pelicans player that you have an affinity for and you want to talk about that we haven't hit on any, and, and, and just, uh, I'm just curious if there's anyone else, any rotation player or someone else that you're, you're particularly fond of. Um, I, I mean, I, I think like it goes without saying how lovable Herb Jones is and how lovable Alvarado is, but also I think a guy like Trey Murphy, Trey Murphy made some progress as rookie year. And like you think about his size and what he could be in terms of his defensive versatility and his you know shooting ability, he came along, man. And like I, I don't think you can rule him out six uh, nine uh, with what he can do. Like we talked about what EJ Liddell could could bring. I mean Trey Murphy is you know he he looked great for for certain stretches at the end of that last season. I'm very encouraged. Like what was the game he had thirty points? Who, who was that against? That was was that Charlotte? Charlotte, yeah. And then he had a big game against the Lakers where he yes. uh, pushed a comeback. Yeah. I mean, are you guys with me on, on a Trey Murphy? <laughs> it's what got the, uh, the, the, I think Perkins voted for Murphy all rookie or something, probably because of that one game. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I'm, I'm a huge Trey Murphy guy. I, I was at, you know, at the draft um, and uh, I got to interview him actually. And before, before that uh, it was just there. Uh, watching him interview other people on the red carpet, um, other lottery prospects, and just seeing him stand next to some of these other very, very tall human beings. Like, <laughs> he, Mark Williams was right there, and Mark Williams, like, only seemed a couple inches taller than, than Trey. Um, he was, like, he was straight up taller than Jalen Duran when they stood next to each other. And, and him and Jabari Smith were about the same size. It was just kind of, like, mind-boggling. Like, oh, my gosh, like, Trey is... Trey is huge, and and if he can keep shooting like that, if he can keep getting stronger, um, and especially if he, you know he, he continues to progress on his ball skills, like that, that's another dribble pass shoot guy that you can plug and play like anywhere across the spectrum. And guys like him are, I mean, like what did we see during the NBA Finals? You know, with the the Celtics and the Warriors and the runs that they went on throughout the entire postseason, how smaller defensive players got picked on relentlessly like even Derek white was getting targeted and Derek white's a good defensive player and was, you know and like guys like trey murphy if they're able to grow into their full selves and you can have lineups where sometimes cj is the, the only small on the floor but then like you have lineups where it's herb jones and dyson daniels and trey murphy and zion and i would i even say Brandon ingram like you could have five guys all between six six and six nine you could throw valentunas out there you can throw like the the combinations are are genuinely endless that the pelicans have and trey murphy's like one of those pieces that you know helps you not have weak links out there uh on either end of the floor i i love trey murphy Love that. So, yeah, just wanted to finish it off by like zooming out and looking at the Western Conference next year. Obviously, a lot kind of depends on some of these moves that might happen. Like, what what happens with Dejounte Murray? What are the what are the Nuggets end up doing? Where does John Collins go? Um, but yeah, like I curious where you where you feel like you know like the top tier of of the West is, and then sort of the 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 next tier. I think like there's like 
in my opinion, there's a top tier, and then everyone else kind of falls in that next tier, unless you're Houston, OKC, and maybe mm-hmm. the Spurs if they're taking for women. Um, but yeah, curious, curious where you're at in, ter- in terms of the West, because everyone's like, well, the Pelicans should be a good team. They should make it past uh, the play-in if they get Zion back. But you look at everyone else that might get healthy. The Clippers might get healthy. and um, So yeah, just wanted to get your thoughts on the West. I mean, it's tough. I mean, like I'd have New Orleans below a lot of those teams because of the uncertainty with Zion until we see him healthy. But like, if we're talking best case Zion healthy year, 70 plus games besides like missing games for, you know, load management and whatever, and he's healthy into the postseason, I I don't see any reason why the Pelicans can't be like, uh, even if they don't have the seating, like one of the four or five best teams in the West with a healthy Zion. I just, I don't think that's unrealistic when you consider Phoenix could be changing for better or for worse. Like they could get better if they were to land Kevin Durant in a big eight and sign and trade where they're giving up all their future picks. And yeah, the Suns would be better. Same thing with the Grizzlies. Like they could get better with the Warriors. We'll see what changes they make, how their young guys improve. But like those three teams that were in the top three last year, I, I could see New Orleans being better than Dallas. I, I could see it. I could see them being better than Denver. Like, what what's Michael Porter Jr. going to look like? Uh, is Jamal Murray going to be fully back to his full self? Um, I mean, the Clippers, as you said, they should be better. The Lakers could be significantly better. Um, so, like, yeah, the Pelicans can end up being the eighth best team in the West again <laughs> because everybody else is better. But I, I see a path for them to be, um, you know, fourth or fifth in the Western Conference. Yeah. Mason, you got some? No, I, I think that's a, that, I feel like that's a, it's, we, we've had a lot of optimism throughout this podcast, I feel like, but that's, I think that's the right place to end because it's optimistic, but it's also realistic. Understand that this is a loaded Western Conference. It's feel like it's been this way for a while. Maybe we had like a hot season where the Eastern Conference was like, oh, maybe we're the, maybe it's going to balance out again. Now it feels like it's back to the West as being dominant, especially if KD ends up out there. If the NBA, like let's say the NBA magically expanded overnight, like, you know, June 27th, the night they expand to 32 teams. Does New Orleans move to the East in that situation? I Who hope so. I don't think so. I, I, it's got to be New Orleans or Memphis. I mean, they're both yeah, on the I Mississippi. I think it's, I think it'd be, so someone pointed this out to me uh, a month or so ago. I think it's Minnesota. If you look at where all the teams sit geographically, Minnesota, there's a lot of teams over there. And the teams in Minnesota, <laughs> the, the teams in Minnesota's division right now are so far away. Like that's they have to travel so far for every divisional game. And so that that's probably the best case. Rather, even though New Orleans and Memphis geographically should it's it's it probably Minnesota, I think. Mm, that, that's a, that's a great point about where the teams are that they face. Yeah, that's so bad. Cause, like, yeah, because if they were in the East, they'd be like in the Bucks, Pacers, Bulls division. You know, like, but yeah, that, that's a great point. It, it could be it could be Minnesota. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, I'd be I'd be pretty upset. But you know, if there's two, <laughs> two expansion teams in the West, I mean, I think there's more wins to be had. I think expansion teams typically are not very good right out the gate. So like, you know, maybe in those early years, you could uh, clean up on some wins. Uh, <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, KOC, I appreciate your time. Appreciate yeah. you coming on, uh, chopping it up with us. Um, we're, we just have a quick shout out to DraftKings, our, our sponsor here. Uh, UFC 276 is on. So if you want to bet $5 and get a hundred free dollars in bets, Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, which is the official sports betting partner of UFC. You can use promo code BOOT as seen on your screen. But if you're listening, it's B-O-O-T. So bet $5 on any UFC 276 fighter. 
to win and get $100 in free bets. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Uh, if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. So appreciate y'all for, for listening and um, shout out DraftKings.